I was thinking we should just hold hands throughout the whole message. I was getting some warm feelings there. (laughs) This morning we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And this is the celebration of the day when the Holy Spirit descends upon the people of God. And uh, I was thinking about preaching the whole message in tongues. Shandai. But then not. So <laughs> that was a Pentecostal joke for those of you that didn't know what that was. Shandai. Um, so Acts chapter 2 is where the story begins. We step into the ancient world. We step into this ancient city of Jerusalem. And we watch it unfold. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where these guys were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be these tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's had to be a trip. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in these tongues, these languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we know from other writings about this, that, that they didn't necessarily know what they were saying. It was sort of an ecstatic moment. They were just sort of blabbering, but they were speaking in languages they didn't, their minds didn't necessarily know. Um, how many of you know someone that speaks with tongues? Yeah, As some of you do. I'm a closet tongue tugger. It says in verse five, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, this crowd gathers together in bewilderment because each one of them heard these guys speaking in his own language. Now, theologians don't know or scholars, they they say we don't know if this was a miracle of speech. I mean, it was a miracle of speech, but it seems like it was just as much a miracle of hearing because these guys were saying and gals were saying everything they were saying, but they were hearing, people were hearing them in their own language. Then how uh, is it that each of us hears them in in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, and uh, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, which is just south of uh, of, um, Bixby. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, nobody likes the Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what what does this mean? But then there were others. There's always people that question, wonder, and because anything of faith has wonder in it, questioning it, and they made fun of them. They've had too much drink, too much wine. Then Peter stands up with the 11. He raises his voice, addresses the whole crowd. So interesting because just a few days earlier, remember, he's denying that he even knew Jesus in front of just a single little girl. But here he's standing up. Something happened to him. Something changed him. Fellow Jews, he says, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These, these, these guys, they're, they're not drunk like you think. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by this guy that talked thousands of years ago, this Joel guy. And he said, and he quotes him, in the last days, this is when the last days start. They've been going a while. 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost on all people, not just Jews, anybody. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That, that word prophesy really just means it's, it's, they'll, they'll be having thoughts and speech that's infected with the divine. We call it inspired thought. In other words, something that transcends human philosophy and ideas, that somehow we'd be impacted by the presence of God to think beyond what we could have thought on our own. He said that will happen, and young men will, will have visions from God, and old men will have dreams, and even on my service, both men and women, not just men, everybody gets on this race, no matter what you are, socioeconomic, doesn't matter, male or female, doesn't matter, everybody's in on this. And I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy as well. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood hasn't happened yet, which means we're in the bookends of Pentecost and this other thing that hasn't happened. So we're in these days right now. And in this time, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, just calling on him, he'll engage with you. He'll change you. He'll save you. Now, this is often referred to by historians and theologians as the birth of the church. This is the moment in human history when human beings began to participate as being extensions of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. The body is the way that, you know, Ed's body is Ed's mind driving it, right? It's the way I operate in my life. We, Christ's mind, Christ's purpose, Christ's person is expressed in the world through Christ's body, the body of Christ. The reason this is possible is because the same spirit that was upon Jesus all of a sudden now is fallen upon the church. That animating presence. It was interesting, you know, it was very clear to these ancient thinkers that, that, that they knew the creator had created the world and they knew that the world had been drawn into a wrong place. Something went awry. Sin is the worm that sort of crawled its way into the condition of creation and sort of pulled things toward ill and pulled things toward wrong and pulled things toward evil. And something's wrong. We know that something's wrong. Well, according to the story that we're told by, by the revealed thoughts of God in scripture is that God doesn't abandon us, but instead he actually, as the creator, jumps into the creation that he created. He becomes a created being. And in the incarnation, he grabs what had happened and changes it. He makes it new. There's a new creation. He recreates. It's called the doctrine of recapitulation. It's, it's, it's the idea that, that God entered into what had gotten wronged and recreates it. And, and in that, re, that's why they, they use language like if any person is in Christ, he becomes or she becomes a new creature, a new creation. Why? That new creation language is the recapitulation of creation. It's the redoing, re-upping. We're starting over again. That's what Jesus came to do. And they knew that this was present or possible because of the Holy Spirit, because they understood that, that apart from the Holy Spirit, because we are, are fleshed beings and we're come out of the earth and we are somehow part of it, that this, this going astray, this, this sin that had entered the human condition or entered the creation and the human condition causes us to want to do things that are not good, pulls on us like gravity, pulls on us to be 
evil or to be at least selfish and to look out for our own and to, and to always, you know, have things that are happening in us that are not good. They understood that. It's called the flesh. But they knew that when the Holy Spirit came and would come into a life of a person, there would be different kinds of fruit. And, and Paul iterates it at one place explicitly. He says the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the human life is love and joy and peace and kindness. Kindness uh, is, is being solicitous. In other words, it's being always wanting to help, being gracious. It, it's self-control and goodness. All of this is the fruit of just being touched by the Holy Spirit. They knew that if they could be touched by the Holy Spirit, they would be animated in a different way. They wouldn't be dominated by selfishness and pain. They could actually be dominated if they learned how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. They could live a life that was new. It was called the new way, the new kind of living. Christianity. Ta-da. Not only did they know that was possible, they knew that because of the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives, they became a connected people. They became connected to God and they became connected to one another in a way that was supernatural. We're not just talking about being neighborly, you know, good old Southern friendliness. How you doing, neighbor? We're not talking about that. We're talking about being friendly. We're talking about a supernatural connection with each other. That somehow we would know things about each other that would be beyond knowing, that we would have a connection, there would be a sense of right. And when you meet other people who love Jesus, you have that thing in you, that almost immediate kinship. It's supernatural. And, and, and Paul talks about these gifts that fell in the church, that Jesus rose and he put gifts in the church that would help us stay connected. Gifts of like pastors and teachers were part of the gifts. But then, then there was all kinds of other gifts. Words of knowledge they're talking about. Words of wisdom. Uh, word, uh, workings of faith. In other words, he's just talking about as the Holy Spirit would move in each one of our lives. As he would manifest himself. Manifestation in Latin means the dancing hand. And as God would dance in our midst and somehow somebody would have a special kind of faith that when I'm weak, somehow they would look to me and say, no, it's going to be okay. And it wasn't, it's not just words. It's not just empty words like, have a good day. It was when they say to you, it's going to be okay. Something gets in you like, I think you're right. Their faith spills into you. Their hope spills into you. And all of a sudden, we're, we're dealing with each other in a way that lifts and connects us. We're going, what's this? Brought to you by the Holy Ghost. That's what that is. We're freaking connected. <laughs> I love that. Paul says that he uses the analogy of the body, the physical body, talking about how every part is intimately connected. They're all different. Fingers are different than elbows are different than eyeballs are different than mouths are different than feet. We're all different, and if we look at each other and say, I don't know if I fit, I'm different. Don't be thrown by the fact you're different. God made you different. Some of you exceptionally different. <laughs> but, but you still belong, man. You still belong. And, and if you're cut off from the body, if the hand is cut off from the body, what happens to it? It dies. Or stars in a scary movie, Right? It says, body parts away from the body. Weird. Have you ever seen a cow tongue in the, in the grocery store? It's like, who even thought of eating one of those? You know, biting your tongue. 
But, but a cow tongue out of the cow is like weird. But if it's in the cow, it never freaks me out. Cow's got a tongue, right? See, when you get outside of your connectedness with the body of Christ, you're, you're weird. <laughs> or scary. Right? So Paul talks about this idea of being part of the body of Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit. Notice the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us into one body. The Holy Spirit is the connector. The Holy Spirit, the falling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which we celebrate today, is how we got connected. Whether we're Jews or Greek, whether we're slave or free, it doesn't matter. We're all given the one spirit to drink. He is our connection. He's our onlineness. Now, the body is made is not made up of, of one part, but many. If we should not say, I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, would it, for that reason, cease to be part of the body? And if the, if the, if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, is it, for that reason, cease to be part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, <laughs> where would the sense of hearing be? Or the whole body an ear, where would the sense of smell, or, smell be? But in fact, God has arranged us in the body. Every one of us, just as he wanted us to be if they were all one part there would be where would the body be as it is there are many parts but one body so this is this interconnectedness that happens between us it's a divine thing it's something that we is made available to us precisely because the holy spirit fell on us and i love this body analogy but in some ways it's it's a little opaque there's another really good one and, and that is this uh how many of you hate to be beyond cell phone range do you ever get out of range and you're disconnected and you can't get the signal? Don't you feel alone? <laughs> or, or how many of you hate it when you lose internet connection? I like internet connection. I like to be connected. And when I'm not connected, I don't like that. That's why when I work, sometimes I'll go to a coffee shop that has free internet connection. And I, I want to stay connected. So that even if I'm doing solo work, every once in a while I know if I'm connected, even if I'm doing solo work, ding, I can get a ding and somebody that's been trying to get hold of me can get a hold of me. And there I am connected, even though I'm away doing solo work, I'm still connected. Or if I'm in the middle of doing something, I can stop and send a message to someone when I think of it and shoot it off to them because I'm connected. Right? I hate not being connected. When some years ago I was traveling to... Uh, a rural part of America and to a, to a funeral. And I didn't really know where I was going and uh, uh, didn't get all the details, but I had my phone. But when I got on the plane to go there, I put the phone in the, I set it down in the uh, airport and I got on the plane. And when I realized I didn't have it in my hand, I asked the stewardess to get off. She said, go ahead. And I ran off and somebody had taken it. So here I was for four days without a phone. I was alone in the world <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm driving around. I can't call anybody. You know, I had to stop and, and to a, a, this gas station in the middle of nowhere that had a phone that was dripping with something. <laughs> I didn't want to put it against my face, you know, <laughs> this old cruddy phone. And I'm calling people, but it was this horrible thing because I don't like being disconnected. Right? See, th- th- the reality is, is that some of us in our faith think we're just alone and we don't stay connected. We're on airplane mode and our Wi-Fi is off and we think that this whole thing is about us 
and that we're supposed to figure it out and that I'm supposed to get up in the morning and I'm supposed to be a Christian on my own. And, and, and if I'm going to figure out if I have a place in God's kingdom, I've got to look at my own resources and I've got to look at myself and my abilities and I've got to look at my own personal experience and I've got to try to figure out if there is a God and if there is a God, how do I fit in his story? But I've got to look at, you know, I've, I've got, I've got, you know, these certain amount of years, some of you are in your twenties, you've got 20 years to assess whether God is real or not and whether you have a place in his kingdom or some of us that are older, you know, we keep looking at our lives and thinking, I've got, this is my life. I got to figure this out. We were solo, disconnected. Not understanding, God never intended us to figure this out by ourselves. But we're supposed to be together. And not only together with the ones we see, the people that are on the planet, we're connected to beyond the planet. We're connected to God. And not only that, listen to this craziness. The scripture actually suggests that we're connected to not only the saints who live today, and the church is always called the saints who are alive right now, the church militant, that are in, in the fight, in the fray, in the game, as it were. But we're connected to the church triumphant, is what they call them. Those are everyone who's been a follower of God, who's died and is now with God. That somehow we're connected with them. Look, this is Hebrews um, chapter 11, and this is the Hebrew writing says, and writer saying, and what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. He's one of those old dead guys. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, most of you know David, Samuel, all the prophet dudes. These are like big time guys, right? And, 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 and then he says in, in verse 39, these guys were all commended for their faith, yet watch, yet none of them received the total deal. What was really promised? What was really promised? The promise was there's going to be a day when everyone's going to be connected. This day comes at Pentecost. And he says, God had planned something better for all of us so that together, so that only together with us. You don't want dead people being together with us. Would they be made perfect? There's something about this connection that happens with not only those that are living, but those that have gone before. And then he goes in the very next verse. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this imagery is the imagery of the arenas and the ancient Olympic games where the people would be out there running and doing the games and doing the competition and all the people in the stands would be watching them and cheering them on. The Hebrew writer is saying, just like that's happening, he's saying, listen, you're in the game, church militant. You're participating in what's going on right now. Recognize that Samson's in the crowd. Gideon's in the crowd. David's in there. He's cheering you. That, that you're part of something bigger. Don't forget that you're not in this alone. Stay online. And then he says to us, watch. He says, he says, therefore we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Somehow, the people in eternity are aware of us. I don't think they're aware of details. I, I just, just, somehow they're aware of us. Somehow as we walk through life and we conquer things and we say yes to God where we could have said no, they're aware. 
The Bible actually says that when we have little victories, there's little crowns or jewels anyway set aside for us. Some other going, oh, yes, somebody said no to the enemy. So, or, and when we stumble, I think they're aware of it. it there's indication from the revelations that the saints actually pray for us. I don't think they hear us, but they pray for us. I think that's cool, right? And so he goes on in, in, this, in the rest of this chapter. He, the, the Hebrew writer continues. He says, you guys have not come to the mountain. He's talking about when we gather, when we pray, when we do anything spiritual or as we live. We, we're not, we haven't come to the mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the day when all the Jews gathered around the mountain and they received the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He said, that's not what's going on with you guys. He says, the trumpet that was sounding, it was, and this voice speaking words that those who heard it, they begged that no further word would be spoken to them. They were freaking out that day that the Decalogue happened. He says, because they, they could not uh, bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrible that even Moses was freaking out. He says, I'm trembling with fear. He says, you haven't come to that gig. I mean, that was a that was like a big issue in the life of the Jews. But, but you've got come to something bigger than that. You haven't come to some natural mountain. He says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Think about this. You're living in the sight of God's kingdom. He's aware of you. Not only him, but you have come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Angels are aware of you. It was Jacob who fell asleep and he had this dream of angels going up and down this ladder. Going back and forth from the earth doing the bidding of God in the world. That ladder didn't shut down. There's still angelic stuff going on around our lives all the time. They are aware of us. But not only have we come to the angels, watch. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. He's talking about those that are church victorious. They're already there. You have come to God, the judge of all people, to the spirits of righteous people who've been made perfect. How have they been made perfect? Because they're connected to us. That's what he said in the chapter before. He said to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, Abel's blood cried out for revenge. Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness. It's a better cry. But he's saying, you come to God, you come to the angels, you come to the, to the people that have gone before you, and you're in their midst. And then he says, see to it that you don't refuse him, because he's still speaking. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, talking about at the Decalogue, at the time of the Ten Commandments, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And watch, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. What's he saying? He's saying every time we walk before God and we stay connected and we don't break, we don't go on airplane mode, we don't turn off our Wi-Fi, we keep our hearts open and recognize I am before God I am before the angels I am before the spirits of just men made perfect they're watching me I'm connected to them they're connected to me every time we do that it shakes stuff in us what does it shake in us the stuff that needs to be shaken (laughs) and what does it leave watch the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken remains you want to live this life of eternity you want to live a life of the spirit that you're not shaken all the time where you're not living in your addictions where you're not living in your naughtiness you need to remember this isn't about you bucking up 
and trying to be a better Christian for God. This is about you remembering you're connected to God Almighty in this huge story. And he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, we are receiving a kingdom, which means it's present tense. It isn't you were online five days ago. It's you're online right now. And you're receiving the signal. Yep, good signal. My bars are full. I'm connected. And, and what happens is I'm thankful and I worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire and he will consume in me everything that doesn't make him smile. This is Christianity. This is faith. This is what we're called to do. Now, if this seems strange to you, then you don't get what it means to be part of the church. I'm convinced, tell them I'm almost done. I'm convinced, I'm convinced many people in the church don't get it. We don't get it. I was talking with an ORU grad this week. We had coffee, really neat guy, he's 22. He was asking me about the will of God. He said, oh man, I'm trying to find out what God's will for my life. You know, it's that typical kind of thing that we all struggle with. I told him I'm 57 and I don't know what God wants me to do. <laughs> anyway. Just to give you an encouraging word, (laughs) it's always the brightest, or the darkest rather, right before it turns totally dark. (laughs) You heard it here first. So, (laughs) that's the encouraging ministry I have. Um, Anyway, so I'm looking at him and say, bro, I get that. And, and, and here's what he said. He said, man, I'm struggling with my belief and God, I'm struggling with all this. And I said, you know, it's so, it's so easy. I do the same thing. It, is that sometimes when I look at my life, I, I look at my, my experiences and my age and I'm trying to figure out how do I fit with God and where is God in the midst of my story? But I keep thinking my story starts with me and ends or still is in process where I am and I've only been around for a while. And here you've been around for 22 years. You're trying to, you're trying to discern God's power. You're trying to discern if God's alive. You're trying to discern if you, God cares about you. I said, you've you got this limited 22 years. How are you going to figure that out? See, see, what the problem is, is that we've got to realize we're, we're part of something bigger than our lives. You've got to get online. Quit working solo. Quit flying airplane mode. Get connected. Remember, imagine if you were a Kennedy. I mean, if, if John F., the 35th president of the United States, was your great-great-uncle, and what would you think if you're a Kennedy? I mean, so you're trying for a job, really hoping it's going to go, and they don't hire you. What would you think? You wouldn't freak out. You'd think, I'm a freaking Kennedy. I'm going to get a job. <laughs> you're a Kennedy. Or if you go through a rough patch and things are not going quite right, you don't give up. I don't you wouldn't do that because somebody from the family is going to help you even if he let you struggle for a while you're a Kennedy for crying out loud well let me tell you something you're a child of God (laughs) you you come unto Mount Zion the city of the living God you have come to the angels thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels that are buzzing around you if you ever saw them it would freak your little head out you've come to the spirits of just people made perfect to God almighty who knows your heart to Jesus who screams over you not revenge like Abel's blood 
but screams over you. Forgiven! Welcome! You belong to me. And if we could ever stay in that narrative, we live bigger. We live fat. Fatter than we are. What a great thought. Okay, so how do you do it? I'll shut up with this. <coughs> how would you rather how would you rather live fatter than you are than be as fat as you are? God be praised. Say, how do you do it? Okay, this is rocket science. Ready for it? Two quick things. One is talk to God. Pray. Get online. Send him a message. Talk to him. Lord, I know you're watching me. Thank you. I'm part of your story. Thank you. I've come to Mountain Zion. Thank you. I belong to you. And if, if you run out of things to say, that's why I love the, one of my favorite things. I was an evangelical charismatic for most of my life, and I just prayed stuff that I made up in my own head thinking that's the only thing God cared about until I ran into prayer books like the Book of Common Prayer. And they are, these are dang good prayers. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> Praise God. I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> Listen to this one. I love prayers like this. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your servants, we give you humble thanks for all your goodness, your loving kindness to us, to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation and for our preservation and for all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not just with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all of our days through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. This book is full of those kind of prayers. Man, slap somebody. It's good. (laughs) Get rid of your tired, worn phrases. I mean, I think God loves it, but impress him. (laughs) You know what I even do? I'll tell you this. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I'm just going to say it because I'm just going to say it. You know what I even pray? I grew up Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I never prayed the, the Hail Mary. Because you know, when I became Protestant, they told you you're worshiping Mary, which was never true. It was never the, 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 even the Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe when they pray to saints or Mary, they're worshiping Mary or the saints. They just think they're talking to them because they actually believe that they can be heard. Now, I'm not convinced that they can hear us talking. I'm convinced they're aware of us. But, you know, you, this is one of the great tragedies of Protestantism. Not just Protestantism, it's really, re, it's really the Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment Protestantism. For those of you that are history buffs, what, what we bought into was we have to keep... The irrational thinking of the Enlightenment was keep things really simple. Cut everything down. Quit trying to have anything that's mysterious. Let's get rid of all mystery. Let's get this down to absolute truth. You know, these foundational truths on which we can build our lives. This is when the church stopped letting Jesus be the foundation and we made the Bible the foundation. Some of you, the Bible is your foundation. Well, yeah, the Bible would be our foundation. No, you're an idiot. 
The Bible doesn't say that the Bible is our foundation. The Bible says Jesus is the foundation. We need the Bible to interpret who Jesus is. But it's always about Jesus. It's about the person who is a mystery. Listen, I've been married to Gail Gunger for 37 years, and she's still a mystery to me. (laughs) Same, Same body, at least 15 or 20 women I have met. more than that honey yeah (laughs) you know what I'm saying because even 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 as a guy same thing how do you describe who you are you're ineffable you can't you're not describable you're mysterious even I say I'm a pastor uh I'm a grandfather Uh, I'm a husband Uh, I do that I can tell you stuff about me I cannot tell you who I am because personhood is ineffable it's indescribable you can't I can't even tell you who I am it's there's mystery. So if there's mystery in knowing each other as humans, how much more is there mystery in knowing the person of God? And yet we want to reduce this to, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll tell you what this is. This is, you know, you accept Christ, you worship Savior, and then when you do this, this is, and then this is, not, this is consubstantiation versus transubstantiation, and this is what, like you've got it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. You don't. When I hear you talk like that, that's what makes me do inside I better stop. <laughs> See, you know, you can, I can always tell when I leave the anointing, get into the annoying. You know what I'm saying? I'm under the annoying right now. I'm severely annoyed. Right? So, <laughs> let's fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> you Bible thumpers, stop it. <laughs> anyway. So I, I, here's what I do. And here, I'm getting trouble with it. I'm just telling you. So I pray the Hail Mary. Not all the time, but probably once or twice a day. You know why I do it? You want to, let me tell you why I do it. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Oh, are you safe with that? Because that's a Bible quote. Did we get that far? Now here's where we get real strange. Hail Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Now here's why I pray that, because I add to it. Hail Mary, I say the first part. They say, Hail Mary, mother of God. I don't think she really hears me. (laughs) Hail Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners. Saints, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Angels of God, watch over us. You know why I pray that? It's not for them. It's for me. It's for me to remember that I'm part of this story with the people that are already dead. And I'm reminding myself that they're praying for me. They may not hear me, but I'm hoping God hears them. And that somehow I'm part of this larger narrative. And it helps me to not sin as much. Because how do you sin more when you're never alone? You got angels all around you. You got saints watching you. Man, you don't have any privacy. And then lastly, read your Bible. 
I love the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. See, I'm not trying to trash the scriptures. I love the scriptures. The Bible says that God's word is like his breath, and there's nothing more wonderful than being so... You pick, we got our little grand girl baby with us uh, this week, Ami. She's two and a half years old, almost three years old. And, uh, and, and, and I, I'm the one that gets her down at night, you know, because dads and grandpas seem to just... We're just meaner than moms and grandmas. And we just don't move, you know, so you're going to bed. That's it. Well, your mommy's not here. <laughs> you can cry about it if you want, but ain't going to change nothing. <laughs> this is grandpa. You know, papa's loving, kind, and I'm not putting up with your crap. <laughs> right? That's papa's job. So I'm cuddling on her, but, you know, I'm cuddled up into her, and I'm praying, our father who art in him. Pray the father, our father together. Give her kisses, and when I'm that close, I feel her breath. <gasps> I love the breath of my children. There's nothing more sweet and precious. Or with, you know, as a husband and wife, when you cuddle, some of the most precious things to me is just being close enough to Gail. I can feel her breath. Right? I love that. When you pick up the scriptures, you're opening them up. You're actually opening yourself up to his breath. And if you listen... It's not that every word you're going to feel inspired by, but if you just commit to it, every once in a while you'll feel that. And you'll go, oh, you're here. The B-I-B-L-E. And if, you, if you're tired of reading the version, you get some different versions. It's so cool we have different versions. This is a brand new version. It's called The Voice. And it's put together by theologians and scholars and storytellers, songwriters, and poets. And let me just read one text and I really am done. In fact, stand up so you believe I am. <laughs> Psalm 23, you all know this. The eternal is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me rest in rich green fields beside streams of refreshing water. He soothes my fears. He makes me whole again, steering me off worn hard paths to roads where truth and righteousness echo his name. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I'm not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments. Near with your protection and guidance, I am comforted. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of attack from my enemies. You care for all my needs, anointing my head with soothing, fragrant oil, filling my cup again and again with your grace. Certainly your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue me wherever I go, always and everywhere. And I will always be with the eternal in your house forever. Pentecost. That's how we got connected. Don't go 